Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur coming to a baseball card, baseball shop near you, the pride of New Brunswick. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> I, I ran out of steam there. The Somerville Slugger. The Somerville Slugger. That could be it right yeah, there. That's pretty good. If I, if I kick on my baseball career. Listen, I've always looked the part. I went, all right, I was coming up with a concept, Denny. And I just went straight 70s trash bag where I even put like a little gold chain here. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. Too ethnic for the guy that I'm playing. <laughs> I'm playing a real salt of the earth country douchebag kind of thing here. <laughs> like uh, a little bit like the guy who comes up to bat against uh, Rodengauer in rookie of the year. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like the guy is oh, crunching the bat so hard that sawdust is coming off. You're like trying to go like uh, Lefty Rawlings. You're like trying to like, like go 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 up and have that whole thing happening soon. I've heard. I've sent the pictures out to a couple people. I just got a goose gossage back, looking like goose gossage. And then the first one I got back was. A skunk Baxter. I don't oh. even know who that is. Someone said you got a real skunk Baxter vibe. By the way, we should explain for the listening audience, because I don't know how many people are, are going to see these videos and stuff like that. Oh. Benny has a... How, how do you even describe that mustache? But think of Benny's regular mustache, but it doing a whole uh, kung fu thing. Yeah, it's like a fucking handlebar with a handlebar. I guess it's getting into a Fu Manchu. Yeah, Fu Manchu. Fu yeah, Man I Benny. so. Yeah. Horowitz. A lot of chest hair here. Yeah. Oh, man. I love Sometimes I fuck around and I, I'm like, you know what? It's kind of sexy. <laughs> you don't see a lot of guys walking around here looking like this. We don't even need to keep sports talk sexy today because just by getting on the Zoom like this with the with, with the navel out and everything. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Please take a screenshot for my <laughs> wife so I so she knows I actually did this. Wait, so she doesn't. I, I'd like to give her a little credit. Give my wife, Stephanie, a little credit. She helped style me today, helped get the props in order for my, for my little home, home shoot. She's, uh, I'm her muse when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> see, see, see here, here, here's where this pod has gone too far. I don't like this being used in your Valentine's Day exploits. I don't like it. Wow. Like, keeping oh. it sexy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, aren't I supposed to keep it sexy? Wait, this is it. This is how you keep it sexy. Oh. Uh, it's going all down the front. There we go. There we go. <laughs> oh, oh man. it can go out too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Come on. Oh now. my gosh. All right. Bl- up, up, up the well, black we are in an audio right. experience here, Denny. That's Come right. On. That's right. Let's all right. Let's get to work. So we should get, get the show work. on the road. Pay pay it off to the audience. Let's get into this day in music history. Do, 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 do. On this day in two thousand and four. Outcast becomes the first hip hop group to win the Grammys album of the year with uh, Big Boy's Speaker Box and Andre 3000's The Love Below. I, you know, I hadn't realized this. It seems by 04, this, this must have been long overdue. Mm. You know, with, with a good 25 years of hip hop and uh, great records under the belt, it seems as though this was maybe a little long to. Uh, to to honor this award but it's an epic album over two hours it's essentially a concept album it's got like nearly 40 tracks 
you have big boys side on speaker box being a little more traditional hip hop and funk. You got Andre 3000 side in the love below pretty experimental goes to some psych parts and some dance stuff. And I think it was like material that was a fusion that didn't like preempt it, but brought to the mainstream, like a considerable depth to hip hop that like, mainstream probably didn't know existed even until then you know uh live music all these different influences all of a sudden you got you know these old heads who are like oh that kind of reminds me of you know luther vandross or like you know it, it kind of started breaking down barriers that it didn't have before and you know what's cool about this record too is as we talk about a lot in this day in music history the finest albums often come uh, at the, the biggest crux in someone's life, right? And Andre 3000 had moved to, they did four records, Stankonia was big, and he moves to LA to, to start his acting career and kind of struck out, you know? Like, he had some stuff, but I think most of the good stuff he got was after this record. So he came home or, or stayed in LA and started writing songs again, like, but no studios, just by himself with a Pro Tools rig and wrote a lot of his songs for uh, his section of the album by himself in kind of a, you know, I wonder if he ate a little humble pie out there in LA. You know, you get, you get out there and you're like, oh, I'm not going to be a movie star right off the bat, you know. And uh, now at this point, hey, ya, and the way you move are just american narrative classics yeah. right like it's cool that is going to be played at like weddings and radios and top 40 radio until we're dead so uh shout out to this album and uh and outcast one of these slow times that we have on the pod we should do like a whole part about actor or musicians that tried to be actors and kind of struck out because oh. or the is- other way around Oh yeah, that's even. No, we that's got more we got Keanu's dog star, <laughs> the Bacon Brothers. Wait, didn't Homeboy the what's his face Hawkeye? Didn't you just release it? Jeremy album? Renner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he uh he tried to do like crew cut rock. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's real bad. It's it's like embroidered jeans rock. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's the genre I put that in. Danny. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. What do you have for this day in music history? Ooh, what do I have? All right, so, you know, we've all kind of seen the trend as Benny once again funnels shotguns of water into his mouth. Um, oh, it's coffee. It's coffee. Oh, coffee today. Black. Um, all right, on this day in 1987, handwritten lyrics to Candle in the Wind by Bernie Toppin, sung by Ellen John, were auctioned at Christie's in L.A. for uh, over a... Uh, over $278,000. Wow. Um, now, I bring this up because it's become quite the trend uh, in indie rock and everything for artists to, like, handwrite the lyrics and to sell them. So, yeah. my question for you, were people doing this before uh, this? Like, like have, have handwritten lyrics always kind of had a market share in the memorabilia angle? The... Not to my knowledge, honestly. Like, I think the handwritten lyrics thing was much more this kind of a collector's memorabilia piece. Like, 
yes, there was handwritten lyrics, but there was one copy mm. owned by the artist. And like eventually it would get put in like a display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or, you know, some other museum of some sort. But the uh, advent of artists writing out many, many versions of handwritten lyrics and selling them online. No, that seems to be tied into like uh, the streaming music. I can't make any money. <laughs> now I could connect with my fans because of social media world. I think there's a direct correlation between the two. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's tough because it seems like, like what, honest to God, honest question, and I don't mean this to be mean, what is the difference right. between that and filling out paperwork? Because it seems like you get into artistry not to have to do that. I got to be honest. Like, there's only one thing I can relate it to, okay? Yeah. And that's sometimes when you have, like, a new release of something or, uh, oh, here's your promo copy of this. There have been times where I've had to sign upwards of 500,000, 2,000 copies of something. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, oh, whatever. You just got to, like, sign it. It sucks. It Like, it really sucks. It's, like, really tedious. And, like, you think you made, like, good progress. You're like, how many did I do? 40? I still have 960 <laughs> of these to go. Like, it is a strange, like, daunting task in a weird way. And I'm going to have to do it with this tops thing soon and sign a few hundred cards. So... Uh, I can imagine this process being almost nothing but tedious and laborious for the artists. I don't know. I don't think they're enjoying it, Denny. Yeah. And we're not going to be the podcast that hates on giving in, uh, giving interviews and autographs. Cause that's just, that's just like, what the fuck are, are we even doing then? If, if we've gone that far down the, Oh, I can't, I, I can't spare my hands for the people that are going to pay me money. So we're not going to be that podcast. I'm just saying. I believe we're not. All I right, believe cool. we're not. All right. Well, you know who does act like that? And who we, is and, it? Who is it? Someone with the opposite <laughs> of this. Oh, a little bit fuller of a beard than you have today. <laughs> James Harden. All right. So we've got... He couldn't rock a mustache like this. He doesn't have the gumption. <laughs> he doesn't have the gumption. Or he's just scared of losing the hair on the top of his head. You never know. Maybe. Um, Maybe. All right. So we had the NBA trade deadline has come and Woo-hoo! went. And this is all, all we're going to do today. We're, we're talking basketball, coming at you as fast as they Plenty can. Plenty to do. Goodness all right. gracious. So we're going to run through all the deals, but we have to start with the one closest to home, the one that hits hardest for us. James Harden to the 76ers, Ben Simmons coming to the wow. Nets. Let's run through wow. the specifics of, of the deal in a deal that uh, just last week we sounded kind of crazy, but here we are. Trade deadline, a lot of things can happen quickly. So in this deal... The 76ers get James Harden, and they get Paul Millsap. The Nets get Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and the Sixers' 22 first-round pick unprotected with the right to defer until 2023, and a 2027 first-round pick protected 1 through 8. The 2027 pick would roll over to 2028, protected 1 through 8 again. Uh, The picks turn into 2 seconds and 2 million in 2029. There's a lot of other stuff, but the... People want the juice. People want the rare meat here. The James Harden nightmare in Brooklyn is over. And even more important, the Ben Simmons nightmare in Philly is over. Benny Horowitz, your thoughts. 
I mean, where do I start, Denny? <laughs> but it is, I mean, the one thing, to, and I've been called out a couple times about it on Twitter, was was how high on James Harden I was yeah. not that long ago. Like last and, week. Well, last week I was already getting low, but I did think the inevitability of this trade before the deadline was very slim. It didn't seem like it was going anywhere. It felt like a bunch of media hype. And I didn't think anybody knew anything. It didn't seem like real conversations were happening. And then all of a sudden, James Harden goes to the West Coast, like literally just shits the bed for two games and kind of puts the Nets in a, in a very different position than they were only a few days before. It was honestly unprecedented. Uh, and I think really quickly, Sean Marks and the crew, I don't know if this was based on intel or intuition, knew he was leaving, knew he was done in the offseason, and we're like, fuck. If he's gone, we got to get this thing, and we got to get this deal. Um, so they went ahead and got the best thing they did. And, you know, all those people who talk shit about Maury and said that, oh, you know, you should have taken Buddy Heel, taken what you should get. Well, he seems kind of smart now, too, because – he waited and got exactly what he wanted, even though he had nothing to do with the circumstances. Let's backtrack, though, okay? Okay, yeah, that's tough. Because I think that it's going to be a very common misconception that this theoretical big three, right, the one that was going to change New York basketball, bring all eyes to the Nets, fuck the Knicks, we got championship after championship coming with this big three, they played 16 games together in two years. And it's it's not even a flop. It never even happened. It's bizarre. But we got to remember something about all of this, which is James Harden was only in Brooklyn because Kyrie Irving flaked out last year, started missing a bunch of weird games. They were terrified that Kevin Durant wouldn't re-sign. And they went out and got James Harden as Kyrie Irving insurance. Basically, mm -hmm. that was what the meat of that deal was. And then we get into this season and Kyrie Irving won't get his vaccination. So it leaves them shorthanded. James Harden and Kevin Durant do some work. They're still in first place. And then the Nets buckle once Durant gets hurt and decide to bring Kyrie in as a halftime player. It just didn't work out. So this is where, in this unique set of circumstances, I usually would like to go, this is all on the beard. And he just did the classic beard thing where he got grumpy. But we do have to blame Kyrie Irving a little bit for all this, don't we? I mean, no. Like, no, not this, at all. This, okay. is, this is the don't one time where I, I would not wow. go up against Kyrie. This is because, shocking. Now, now well, we're really because. Changing. Here, here, here's the thing, right? Kyrie yeah. hasn't been the one. Now, Kyrie has a lot of faults, but Kyrie hasn't been the one that's like, hey, I'm going to pull whatever this hamstring in, and an injury that is undetectable, and you can kind of fake to a medical staff to try to get yourself out of a situation. Kyrie's day in uh, in front of the firing squad is coming but today it, it's all about james harden once again trying to force himself out of a destination yeah i mean because in reality right 
James Harden could have gutted out the next couple weeks. Yeah. Gotten Kevin Durant back and still been in perfectly good shape to make a little bit of a run here at Brooklyn. Like what happened there that, you know, that's the thing that's going to really be fascinating. Like what happened in those four or five days? Cause there does seem from my distant perception of it and just hearing about other people talk that Kyrie and Katie are boys Mm -hmm. and Harden was on the outside. And now it seems the more and more this keeps playing out, and this is where I'll warn 76ers fans with my crystal ball, is James Harden starting to seem like the guy who walks into the room and everyone starts acting weird. He's just got that piece of ice coldness, and he and he does it to a room. He has that Dwight Howard-esque quality where he's like, not necessarily doing anything wrong. It's not saying anything wrong. I don't think people like him that much. And I don't know. They like, they don't seem to eventually people seem to wear on James Harden. This seems to be a thing. No. And, and I mean, so if, if, if we look at him trying to get out of situations, right, he was in yeah. Houston for damn near a decade Daryl Morey and the Rockets split up, and, and Daryl Morey goes to Philadelphia. The entire regime changed. His coach changed. He's like, you know, this isn't the crew that I've been playing with. I want to get out. That's understandable. We see that happen. And, and then you have, have this one where it's like, okay, like, like you talked about the whole Kyrie thing. Maybe he was weirded out with playing with Kyrie. Uh, and then in, in that sense, I think that, even at the media at media day at the start of, of this season, um, the beard talk about how he wants to be in Brooklyn but wouldn't commit on, on the contract level. So I don't know if he looked at, at Brooklyn as a stopover for for somewhere else. Um, but I, I I legitimately feel like he felt like he was going to try to be part of this big three and win a championship. But then so when too. but then yeah. when I think uh, him seeing his place in the league kind of be diminished i.e. the all-star voting results, him not being... No, like, like this matters it's, to these guys. No, 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 it's indicative. Because, yeah. because yeah. not only, like, there's a couple things there, right? It's like, it's like okay, like, the fans didn't vote for me, but then it's also like, oh, there's money involved in this. And if the fans right. aren't, aren't, vo- aren't viewing you that, there's part of your salary going away, and then there's, at the end of the year, your all-NBA considerations. Those are pretty decent bags, and... You know, these private planes to fly to the Bahamas are not going to pay for themselves. Well, I mean, I mean, that could be the whole reason this is happening, right? Yeah. This is this is a year and a half of uh, New York City nightlife tabs <laughs> building up and he needed to get over the border to PA. You need to cut the cut the stripper bill in yeah. half. You, you go to Pennsylvania. Trust me. <laughs> his nightlife bill went down greatly yeah. okay let me just say that he's oh. got a lot more options now but so it's interesting you say the all-star draft because i thought that was strangely indicative of my point is that these guys don't take him totally seriously as a guy it seems that way again i'm just a fucking asshole wearing a fake mustache <laughs> i have no idea you know what i mean yeah. these guys could be awesomely good friends but I watch games. I go to games. I see the way people interact with each other. And I don't want to say James Harden was this guy because he's not nearly as bad, but watching Darren Williams play for years and watching that almost just like 
mini uncomfortable bubble around the guy. Even when he's not doing anything wrong, you can tell it's not close. Mm. And I get that impression from this situation. I have for a while. And I think that all-star draft was kind of a little bit of a, you know, fungal on the fact that they don't maybe take him that seriously as a dude. They're not worried about running into him and worried about what he thinks. Mm. They're trying to play him out a little bit, you know, and they did. Um, I don't know how, because I, if, if you watch the all-star selection on Thursday night when, when KD and LeBron picked their lineups, KD legitimately seemed about as, as, as angry while continuing to be calm, cool, and professional <laughs> at this whole thing. The way KD described the trade is like everybody got what they wanted. So That's right. if we know Kevin Durant is very open with people, um, so that reaction alone... And the fact that in, in the All-Star draft, he selected Rudy Gobert in front of James Harden, who just... So it seems like this was an entire James Harden production. Um, and then, you, you know, you, you get the articles coming out. Um, friend of show, Joe Varden, had the thing about uh, James Harden giving Kyrie the side eye when he started burning sage in the locker room and stuff right. like that. So, listen, I'm not going... like. Guys can do whatever they want in the locker room. That's how people get get ready for games and stuff like that. I'm saying this is 100% a James Harden production. I can see that. All right, so let's get past the theoretical here. Cause... Okay, wait. Do you want to get into the Ben Simmons stuff on the other side? of? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, oh. here's where I want to get into... Oh, we're talking... I mean, Simmons is well-covered territory, right? Like, we knew he wanted out. He finally got out. Now is the Ben Simmons piece that I'm really interested in, and this is the big part of it, Yeah, is the uncertainty around Ben Simmons still by both the Sixers and the Nets, the reason the Nets got Curry, Drummond, and two first-round picks along with Ben Simmons. Oh, 100%. Like, 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 what do you think the Nets think they're getting right now with Ben Simmons? I think Seth Curry. They're looking at it as Seth Curry is the best player in in this deal, and if if at a minimum this deal is insurance for Joe Harris, when you get Seth Curry, who's become one of the greatest three point shooters that this league has ever seen. So I think at the front of this trade, that's what they're getting, um, and then you also get Andre Drummond because you kind of need you know he's 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 serviceable, and when you're going up against you know your Bam Adebayo's and your Giannis's in the playoffs, you're going to need that kind of help. So that's what they're getting up front. And then Ben Simmons is almost kind of, he's he's the main piece in this deal, um, but he's also uh, the, the, the the biggest wild card and, and the reason why I think that they got draft compensation here. Well, yeah, and I think this year is now what the Nets had to consider the biggest wild card, right? Like, I think the Nets somewhat weren't like we're going to tank on this year but like we're okay with not winning the championship year they they had to be because taking this regression right now you're about to be sending road teams out there or excuse me home teams out there that have no one on them you realize that no Kyrie Irving Mm. no Kevin Durant no James Harden no Joe Harris the teams they're going to be putting out there is this Patty Mills Kessler Edwards, uh, you know, Dayron Sharp, like, and a healthy, healthy heaping of Seth Curry. He's going to be a huge piece. If if you have a fantasy team, get (laughs) Seth Curry right now because the (laughs) next month is going to be insane. 
what he's going to be putting up there. So, and they're already in a play-in situation. It's not like the Nets are in a good spot here. A lot of teams in the East made other moves. You had those teams like Boston who are, you yeah, know, we'll sitting around that. sixth we'll and seventh, that, yeah. take another advantage and, and, and step up. So the, the reason I say that is because even if Ben Simmons is physically ready to go right now, the Nets are insane to put him out there without Kevin Durant. Yeah. They can't. After all of this, after all of this shit, you gotta wait till like the whole package is together to try to put it out there because there's still like, even though I'm so tempted to get excited over Ben Simmons talent, the way you could view this roster, the kind of flexibility it gives you. I'm terrified about taking that guy into Philly, hmm. which is going to have to happen, yeah. you know, a number of times, like, like this is, Brooklyn and Philly, they're going to, this is a regular season. There's a good chance they could see each other in the playoffs. Like, so I think the Nets have to be really careful and I think they'll tread water, but I do think like in the immediate short term, this made Philadelphia a lot better and the Nets a little bit worse. Oh, you know, I just, don't think so at all. I, I think like, both because, teams won this deal. Because essentially the Sixers replaced on their active roster Seth Curry for James Harden and minus Andre Drummond. Ben Simmons wasn't playing. So as far as this team that's concerned right now, you know, you're throwing out a lineup that still has Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Danny Green, Thibel. Now add James Harden to that. To me, that makes them one of the real teams in the East, like up there with Miami and Milwaukee now. Because of all these question marks, I say about Brooklyn, I think the future looks incredible. And once you put this together, it looks incredible. But there is a chance that they had to like consider part of this season a little bit of a wash. I do think that's in the cards here. See, the the thing that I'm going to say about both Brooklyn and Philly in, in this deal is Tell me the last time we saw a deadline trade of like this magnitude with this many guys shifting teams where the chemistry wasn't affected. So I oh, think for yeah. this season, it's going to be tough, Like especially when you're going to add a guy like like Harden in with Embiid. Now, the thing that I'm very excited about that is you know we see when Embiid has, has had a, a, a shooter around him, i.e. Uh, Redick, or you know we even look at it, Seth Curry, that's been an unbelievable pick and pop game, and I, I like the fact that Doc is the one to kind of facilitate that and, and make that thing happen. But you know, when it's interesting that that you feel like the Nets kind of lost this trade because you know. Oh no no no! That, I didn't say that. Okay. I didn't say that. You feel the Nets got a little bit worse though. I think there are two reactions to this trade. Mm-hmm. There's right now, and then there's the and future. there's the future. Yeah. I think the Nets right now on paper tomorrow are slightly worse and a little more confusing than they were for a bunch of different reasons. And basically because we don't know what Ben Simmons is yet. Yeah, exactly. And on the alternate, we replaced James Harden with Seth Curry and no one else is healthy and the Nets are sliding. So because of all that, I, this is where uh, I think the Nets had to look, though, is I think that the Sixers get a chance to make a run this year, maybe next year. 
But now I think they're in an inenviable position that Brooklyn just was mm. one day ago. Yeah. Which is someone has to pay James Harden $50 million a year going into his late 30s. And James Harden did not opt in, contrary to reports yesterday. He did exactly. not opt into his deal for next year. Exactly. So unless he's going on a plant-based CP3 <laughs> kind of late 30s journey here, that looks like a terrible, terrible, terrible contract to be yeah. in. The Nets, on the alternate, regained two of the first-round picks that they lost in the Harden deal. Mm -hmm. Seth Curry, who's a very talented offensive player on a very manageable deal, uh, and Ben Simmons on a much uh, more friendly deal and also theoretically a better fit around Kyrie and KD and that team. Like, like imagine this lineup. Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons. It's fire. Love it's it. insane. Yeah. That is an insane lineup that could do insane things. Yeah. But I don't think we're getting that lineup this season. I think that if, if we would have gone on as is with the beard, I don't think he would have had him this year anyway because he, he does this mm. thing where he's out of, of the lineup and it would have been kind of the same thing as last year where he's like, quote unquote, on, on this hamstring problem. Right. So I think you can't look at it other than the Nets got better because of how wildly volatile the idea of James Harden being on the court is. Oh, I mean, as a fan... Yeah. Take away the analytical side. As a fan, I feel like a giant weight is off my shoulders. Right. And I'm sure Sean Marks does too. You know, because like it was only a few years ago that I was looking at like D'Angelo Russell, Brooke Lopez, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, this beautifully organically built team, you know, that like the whole league was getting excited about. It's the reason Kevin Durant even came. And, you know, we had these chances. I don't blame Marks for taking these chances, but you put yourself in an extremely win right this second situation uh -huh. with zero flexibility and honestly, not a lot of fun, man. <laughs> you know, like those guys weren't that fun together. And like now I see something else brewing. We yeah. got Patty Mills Still, talking to Ben you know, kept Patty Mills. We got Patty Mills with Ben Simmons, the, the country mates. You know, he's advocating for him already. Like, you have, you know, some some opportunities for some of the youth to come in. The last week or two has showed us that Cam Thomas is a very good offensive player and is going to be a rotational player. So, as a fan, I couldn't be more excited about the Nets in the future. And I keep imagining Ben Simmons in this, like, we don't give a shit if you score a kind of role. Mm, yeah. Like if, if they can manage to get Ben Simmons to buy into more of a, like a Draymond green kind of role, you know, where he's facilitating and screening and passing, finishing at the rim, playing just fucking exceptional defense on the other side, you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and yeah. all these other, and Seth Curry and Patty Mills and Joe Harris. Like it seems okay to yeah. me and very, very exciting. Yeah. So uh, uh, I don't want to say that the Nets didn't win. I think the Nets hit a fucking home run with this trade. And when this trade was on the table, I didn't see much more than Simmons plus one other player. When, when it was Simmons plus two other players, one of which I very much wanted, and two picks, 
it's a total fucking home run and a, and a no brainer. And to me, it's the gumption of Daryl Morey and his perpetual boner <laughs> for James Harden that might put them in a lot of trouble again. I mean, it really could yeah. like, I, I really am excited for the basketball side of James Harden, Joel Embiid and what's possible, but the, the, you know, recipe for volatility just went from this Ben Simmons thing to a James Harden thing. And it seems untenable. There's one more element of this that we got to talk about. We're big into talking about legacies here. And I feel like this is a potential other sliding doors moment, because I feel like when you look at uh, for both Kevin Durant and Daryl Morey, I'm going to set up the Kevin Durant thing first. I think if they kept this thing, as is the sliding door moment would have been the foot on the line not winning the title last year right as it goes to like him uh being a like nba champion and you know having gotten it done in brooklyn after leaving golden state so now when you trade a 32 year old for a 25 year old oh my gosh, this window is so wide open now. Like, this window is a lot yeah. longer. And as Kevin Durant ages, and this slowly, you hope it can become Ben Simmons' team where it's not two young guys going kind of button heads like Joel and, and, and Ben did. It's like these older guys grooming him into very much, like you said, a like the Draymond... Um, almost like like a, like a James Wiseman situation, how, how they're grooming the next ge- generation here. So I think, you know, that... For Kevin Durant is a thing of beauty. Now let's move over to the Dalmore thing because you know people like to look at this guy as a genius and he's awesome. He's a funny guy, but he's never put together a championship-winning team. He always looks. He takes it year by year, which is great. But sometimes I feel like he gets lost in the micro in in a league that's very much more macro than you think. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's true. And I think we've seen in the last few years, you know, the idea that you can take this more anal- not analytical look, because I know his concept is based on his version of analytics, but the the idea that, that the superstar, that there needs to be three of them to win, maybe isn't necessarily the case, right? You definitely need two, but I think it's pretty safe to have like, two A's, two B's, two C's rather than the big three. And also the way the NBA has set itself up at this point, financially, it does not make a lot of sense anymore. If you are locked in to three big time players long-term, you better fucking know that they're your guys and you better have a little bit of a stroke of luck. Cause most of the time, one of these Fritz is out and you're left with, with one, you know, bummer of a contract that, that you don't want. I got to steal one stat I heard earlier on the Windhorse show. I think it was McMahon who said it. Kevin Durant, 0 for 4 with James Harden. Kevin Durant, 2 of 3 with a Curry. Mm, love that. I mean, come on. Love Doesn't that. matter which one. <laughs> All I mean, right. that's right. Like, before we get off this, yeah. let's take one funny element to this is like, you know, Doc Rivers, this is this is his son-in-law, yeah. right? His grandkids, you know, he just got you know, he's got kids. Yeah, he's got to move. They got to play each other all these times now. Drummond was like a guy that he brought in. I think that's where Maury's, you know, whole thing goes a little haywire. Chemistry does exist. Yeah, you know, people do have to like each other. It's it's been fairly well documented the last few years. You know, 
and the good news for Seth Curry is he can keep the Wawa deal. Moves on. Oh yeah, move, moves on, on up to Brooklyn. Come on, it's perfect. Oh yeah, he, he might get Subway now. Oh, uh, Jersey Mike's. <laughs> yeah. Oh Jersey man. Mike. All right. Stop it. The other big one on deadline day: Kristaps Porzingis to the Wizards, Spencer Ooh. Dinwiddie to the Mavericks. The Wizards get yeah. Porzingis and a second-round pick. The Mavericks get uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Uh, Mavericks will uh, the, the Mavs will release Moses Brown to create a roster spot to complete the trade. The Mavs remain optimistic that they will re-sign Jalen Brunson this summer, uh, yeah. according to Tim McMahon. So this is this is an interesting trade because it's it's, it's two guys who have uh, you know Wizards fans kind of wanted to get Dinwiddie out of there. Uh, Mavs fans weren't feeling too hot on KP, and now you know you see a situation where. Uh, you know, the the Wizards have tried to have a running mate with Bradley Beal that is another guard, and it hasn't worked. So get him a big man and try that for a, a little bit. So, Benny, what do you make of this trade? What I make of this trade is, like, this is Dallas. This is a new regime in Dallas who is like, please get this fucking guy off of my roster. <laughs> like, basically, they're like, I didn't make the initial trade. The only thing they have left on the books for it is, I believe, one more pick still going to the Knicks, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> that fucking hurts, you know? Um, but essentially, what's this mean? That, like, what did the, you know, they got Dennis Smith Jr. And, the, like, this trade is just awful on so many levels. So I think Chris Stapps has gone to this level of, like, you know, straight, NBA purgatory, you know, like he's, he's looked at as a, an ogre of a contract, a guy who can't stay healthy. Uh, definitely not a number two. I mean, that's been fairly well established over the last few years. So I don't think Washington's doing this deal expecting like Bradley Beal and Porzingis to come back next season as their one, two, like, uh, it doesn't seem logical to me based on both of their histories Beal and his uh, contract situation, like, I don't think that's the plan here. And I think there's probably more to be done because you can't, you can't base, that guy is too smart. Shepard is too smart to imagine that that is your big two going forward. Um, As far as Dallas is concerned, I don't know exactly what Dinwiddie is for them. Like, as we discussed prior, you know, I had eyes on Dinwiddie for a long time as the Nets backup. And, and even before he got this contract, it was uh, pretty visible to me that he was not a full-time starting point guard for any team. He wears down. He puts up clunkers of games after he logs too many minutes. He's uh, a, an inconsistent shooter, not always the greatest facilitator. So he's not some like, point guard option the only thing i can see here for dallas is they don't see a an impending free agent coming next year right so mm-hmm. they take their money they get off of porzingis re-sign finney smith to a fairly manageable deal i think what did he just come back on like three for 55 or something yeah. like that Four, um, maybe yeah you know in this off season they are going to have to pay brunson I would guess upwards of four years, 80 million, five years, a hundred million. Like he's a good damn player. I think he's getting better. I think they're a little crazy to let him walk. I don't know where that lives. Dinwiddie. It leaves him as either a backup point guard or a uh, kind of swing shooting guard, which you can use him a little bit as he did 
play pretty well off of D'Angelo Russell, like early in his career. So I, I, that might be the idea for Dallas, but I also think he's a very effective, movable piece uh, if Dallas decides to make a lot more moves. But all that being said to me, this whole trade is based on Dallas being like, get this fucking guy off my roster, please. And it's also based off of Dallas being like, because Luca's rookie deal, you know, it's coming up. So, you know, he's a, he, he's been a temperamental guy. He's not easy to get stuff to, to get him to, to do things. Sure. Doesn't exactly seem a hundred percent bought into the organization. Um, and you know, they, they've kind of butted heads. So I, I think if you give him, um, a guy like Dinwiddie, like you're just trying to pacify Luca, but then on the other hand, in, in DC, it's just asset accumulation. Um, and I think it kind of works with what they got. It's a flyer. And I, I know that you're giving away a guy like Dinwiddie uh, for this flyer, but I think you've always got to look at the upside of it. And uh, but I just don't know where where Dallas goes from here. I mean, like you like, think you think Luca's getting a say? You think he gets a call before this happens these days? Mm. New GM? He might. He might, but I, 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 I don't know why he'd approve this. From yeah, his sake? he fucking hates Porzingis. Yeah. That's why. He's like, wait, <laughs> get him out. Take a fucking sack of laundry. He doesn't oh, care. Oh, man. He didn't want to hang out with him anymore. I don't think he liked his club music. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think that that's a trade that... Uh, um it's gonna be interesting to look back on this one a year yeah, from now that's a fact all right next one uh we got a massive 14 deal that impacted my bucks so serge baka went to milwaukee uh my guy dante divincenzo going to the kings marvin bagley the third to the pistons so let's roll out the entirety of this deal the bucks get serge baka two future second round picks the second round picks uh the Pistons are sending our next year's and the lower of Cleveland and Golden State's picks from Sacramento in 2024, plus cash, cash going to Milwaukee because we know how they love to try to save money. Boy, billionaires saving money. Ah, that that gets me. Uh, the Kings get Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, and Trey Lyles. The Pistons get Marvin Bagley III, and the Clippers get Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale, guys that haven't really played for the Bucks much this season. So, Benny, what do you make of this trade? Uh, you know, I hope we talk about the Kings a little more because, you know, they made a, another quite a big deal, but I thought this was a nice time to take a flyer on someone like DiVincenzo. He's getting healthy. He's still young. He's really talented. And I think they have the chance to lock him up on a very manageable deal when, you know, it seemed as uh, the white shooting guard minutes had been filled up by Grayson Allen and oh, Connaughton Jesus. over Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, it's Milwaukee. You have to have that no, slot. No, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> you got to appease the fans, buddy. They didn't like Wesley Matthews there, you know? <laughs> That's not true. He's a Marquette guy. What are you talking about? That's so ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm just getting on you. I'm just getting on you. But for, for Milwaukee, you know, I think it's a bit of a desperation move. I mean, you already saw them bring in DeMarcus Cousins for a couple 10 days. Greg Monroe. Serge Bach is a, you know, a proven player, um, you know, formerly very, very good who has playoff experience and stuff. But I do think uh, giving up a very nice young player um, to get a Baca is, is, is it's scary. And if you're asking for more than like 12 to 14 
really good minutes out of him a night, I think you're going to fall a little short. So again, it makes me wonder what they know about the uh, Brooke Lopez that, that we don't know. Um, you know, and as far as this, you know, the Kings, the Kings wind up basically trading Marvin Bagley for Dante DiVincenzo and Trey Lyles and a little draft capital. Pretty smart move. Like I, I kind of like them bringing in that group right now. All right, so I'm gonna. Say, you know, I love Dante Divincenzo, but I went to. So I was at the Bucks Lakers game the the other yeah, night, right? A game where you think you're learning a lot, but come on, that Lakers team's tough. I mean, I saw Russell Westbrook throwing the ball into the stands like 16 times, um, <laughs> absolutely crazy. But it, no, it was interesting watching Dante, and I I watched a great deal of him in person pre-injury, and this is post-injury, uh-huh. and. He's just not the same guy. So huh? I feel like if, if you're John Horst trying to turn that into something, especially if you're not going to have Brooke Lopez. Now, they haven't ruled <laughs> out Brooke Lopez, which you, you would have thought that if, if he wasn't going to come back, that they would have ruled him out, used the in, injury exemption to try to get somebody. Um, but what I love about this deal is this now opens up three roster spots so you can go out into the buyout mm. market. Um, you know, if, if you liked having DeMarcus Cousins on your team, you can add him for the rest of, of the year. So it kind of gives them some flexibility that their cap situation is not going to give them. So who are the best buyout candidates oh, right Oh, boy, I, I haven't even dug into that. But uh, you have to, let's see. What do we got here? Tristan Thompson. Mm. Dennis Schroeder. Maybe. Draja could be there. It's looking like the Kings are, are going to keep Sabonis. Um, I, I thought that that, that may, may have been a good option for them. Uh, Dragic is, is, is going to get bought out by, by oh the Spurs. He'll be available. Milwaukee, I know the perfect spot. Who? The perfect thing for Milwaukee to do right now in the buyout market. Robin Lopez. He's going to be there. He's going to be right there. That's perfect. Man, I... Let those guys we, go to Disney together in the weekend. We've done this before. It didn't lead to a championship. In fact, getting rid of him led to a championship. Why? You don't like Hookshot? <laughs> it's fine. Ken Bazemore is going to be a buyout candidate. I, I don't know. Freedom. Bring in Enos Freedom after oh, he talks boy. at CPAC. Oh, boy. And, and hey, you know, Milwaukee's uh, bidding right. for the Republican convention. Right. So maybe- well, I know you're a little, I know you're Milwaukee-centric. But can we talk about the real Kings deal that happened? All right, so the the Pacers rebuild continues. They got a young guy in Tyrese Halliburton. They got Buddy Heald. They got Tristan Thompson. And then the Kings get DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second-round pick. So uh, I love this for the Pacers, man. I love, you know, they, they get Halliburton. They, they kind of get to reboot this thing. Carlisle has his stamp on the team. So, Benny, what did you make of this trade? Yeah, I I actually, you know, this was one of those ones when it came out that I I thought was uh, much too heavy to the Pacers' favor. I do like it for the Pacers. I think it's the right move. They've been stuck in a logjam with some of the players they've had for a while. Levert wasn't their answer. Um, Turner and Sabonis has been a known ineffective commodity for a long time. But Sabonis is the only one who could pull a player like Halliburton back. So you had to give up that to get him back. Uh, Between this and the Levert deal, I like what the Pacers did to continue tanking this year, get a good pick, adding good youth around, you know, 
Turner still and Halliburton and Duarte, who wound up being a good pick. So I like it for the Pacers. But I think this is an undervalued deal for the Kings. I really do. I, I know I'm out on an island on this one. And I think it has something to do with like the general, uh, you know, sort of misconception that these young European players can't be like the linchpin of your of your squad if your name's not Luka Doncic, you know? And um, Sabonis, I think, is a little undervalued just because of the way he plays and the way he looks and kind of the uh, the vibe of it. But the Kings got back, you know, a 25-year-old all-star who you can actually, like, build a team around. And I don't think they had one of those before. You know, Halliburton, you could have been working towards this, but the next few years of Kings basketball, excuse me, the next maybe two years of Kings basketball would have been a constant, like, De'Aaron Fox, Halliburton controversy, the team wasn't gelling together for whatever reason. So I like the idea that you're now committed to Barnes, committed to Sabonis, committed to Fox and Davion Mitchell. Uh, they'll be bad again. They have more draft capital. And I think the Kings, in a weird way, are, are in much better shape than they were prior to the trade deadline. Getting rid of Marvin Bagley for some actual assets. DiVincenzo, you take the flyer on, like, I, th- I really do. I think they had a better trade deadline that's being reported. But it's like, so if they got better, right, I just don't see how that moves them up anywhere if you're talking about playoffs or playing yeah. tournament stuff. I just don't I see think, it. I think that's where the owner comes into play. You know, like hmm. some owners are hands off. They're like, GM, do what you got to do to make this the best team in this. Yeah, I think there's that. a directive from the top right now that we're not tanking. We'd like to try to make the play and make the playoffs, make something. So that is probably coming from top and hamstringing them a little, I would assume. And another organization and another GM making moves to try to save his job. David Griffin and the Pelicans landed CJ McCollum from the Portland Trailblazers in a deal that saw Josh Hart go back to Portland. Portland is also acquiring Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Thomas Sadoransky, uh, a 2022 protected first-round pick, and a, a two second-round picks. Uh, New Orleans will also receive Larry Nance Jr. and Tony Snell. So um, a deal that is is it, it's super sad because it, it ends an era of C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, a era that's hard to not look as a lot of hype but that didn't really play the payoff dividends that their fans were hoping for. I mean, you know, maybe the hype made it that way, but like, can you really be that disappointed with people who are picked in the positions they were picked? I mean, always remember Damian Lillard was, 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 was picked from a a Gerald Wallace trade and CJ McCollum was, was stolen from a small school, you know, with a, um, you know, not, not, was he a top 10 pick? I think he was a top 15. Yeah. So from Lehigh, you know, he had that good NCAA. And tournament. then, and then these two guys, you know, from small schools pairing up and doing what they did and getting to, you know, a conference finals. And I, I don't see it as a total disappointment, not for Portland, but they were never able to add that other piece around it to bring it over the next level. And I think Portland's in full tank mode. I mean, even, Nikhil Alexander uh, is gone already. I think he's in Utah. They took a chance Mm. for him. So I think what this is about for Portland is trying to 
put together something that's going to convince Damian Lillard to stay for another few years and really care. And now that this Ben Simmons, James Harden thing is put to rest, at least temporarily, like all eyes are on Damian Lillard now, as far as like, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay? And, you know, it's really hard to rebuild around a superstar, but if we're going into next season with uh, Lillard, Anthony Simons re-signed, uh, Josh Hart, who I think is like a very, very good player and kind of underrated, mm-hmm. uh, Nasir Little, maybe you sign Nurkic to some kind of friendly deal. You have another first-round pick and more capital. I'm not saying Portland's in a great position next year, but I don't think that rosters is an awfully bad position either. And if Lillard resigns there, it might give him as good of a chance as anywhere, you know, depending on who pops up into the mix. So I think Portland's doing what it needs to do. And I think new Orleans is in a very similar situation to what Sacramento is, which is someone trying to save face, get him into the playoffs. And also, I mean, we have the Zion Williamson implication there. We still don't know what he is. We still don't know exactly if he's going to stay with this team or try to opt out, try to do something else. So they're trying to get this team to look pretty good for if and when he comes back. And, you know, they actually haven't looked too bad of late. And, and, uh, and that might be their strategy here. But, but does McCollum solve the answers there? I, I don't mm. think so. Yeah, no, it, it, the, the Damian Lillard thing is something definitely to, to monitor. Uh, you got to give Chauncey Billups a, a lot of credit for what he's been able to to do there. But if I'm Dame, I'm looking around at this, I'm like, listen, you can be loyal all you want. That that That's great. Loyalty only pays off if you're winning. I mean, Giannis's loyalty in Milwaukee paid off, got a, a championship, but that organization built a contender around him. But... A lot of it's also not Dame's fault. I mean, he he was going up against the Warriors in the Western Conference for a lot of, of that time. So it's a tough thing. Uh, I, I don't think anybody would uh, discourage him or be mad at him if, if he left Portland to, to try to get that ring opportunity. Where's he going? What's your prediction? Oh, if he goes, where is he going? I mean, you got to look at teams with with the cap room unless i don't think this guy's taking a, a, a pay cut to go somewhere else so he'd, he'd have to be dealt man yeah. uh, lakers don't have have pieces to make this may the knicks have some interesting things that if you know if they're trying to do it um both of those teams by the way we didn't even talk about this lakers and the knicks staying pat at at, at the Dead. deadline um which doesn't bode well for frank vogel uh, you know what does bode well for Portland? What? Is the fact that the teams with the three max availabilities for next year are going to be, what, Indiana, Orlando, and San Antonio, I think? Yeah. Maybe Oklahoma City? So, you know, as far as your roster and someone who is, you know, from all accounts, completely committed to that city and, like, you know, I see fucking episodes of Portlandia with Damian Lillard. He's part of the fabric of that town. So I don't think he leaves for like, oh, let me go steward the ship down in Orlando. Or right. hundred percent. Two teams that stayed pat at the deadline that need some help. Uh, the Lakers are a sinking ship. They needed to get some help, but they didn't really have any assets at the deadline. And the Knicks, there was a lot of talk, uh, a lot of bark, but no bite as they say. So, yeah. uh, what are you looking at for the Nets 
Uh, excuse me, not the Nets. For the Lakers and the Knicks going forward. I mean, I think the Knicks, the Knicks made their deal. They got they got rid of Kevin Knox, and I think they're still in this like sort of development, see what we have mode, and they weren't willing to give up on any of those young pieces yet to see, you know, like if the Knicks were to make a move, they would have had to, you know, either do something crazy salary based, based around Kemba Walker, or they'd have to package a bunch of young guys, you know, and they like their young guys and they don't want to get away. So I think Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Grimes, uh, Obi Toppin, um, you know, the, the bunch of this core, I think they really want to see what they have. I think they know they're not a real threat in the East this year. And what's the point of making uh, a big swing? So for the Knicks, I get it. It's fine. It's boring. And that's kind of what the Knicks are right now. Mm. This is a Tom <laughs> Thibodeau team. They're just boring, a little calculated, just cloddy. <laughs> you know, this is just what the Knicks are now. So no trade deadline buzz for them. As far as the Lakers go, to me, this was like kind of a, uh, hey, like we gave you guys everything you needed already. We gave you guys everything you wanted already. Can you maybe go do it? Like just go do the thing. There's nothing we could do to help you out here. We're totally hamstrung. I mean, I heard some options kicking around about their like 2027 first rounder and stuff like that, but what are you going to get for that? That's really going to move the needle. You need these gigantic superstar players you have on that team to, to be better and figure it out, not add some random complimentary piece that's somehow going to put that all together. So uh, I don't really blame the Lakers management either. I could see the players or the fans being a little upset right now, I guess, since I'm neither, I don't care. Um, but I think it was actually the smart move and it puts the weight back on the players who demanded they put this exact team together anyway, you know? Yeah, no. So there was a potential deal that would send Westbrook to Houston uh, coming and John Wall coming yeah, back. John Wall. Yeah. yeah. Um, that deal fell apart. Um, Houston wanted more picks yeah. and the Lakers were like, no. Um, but no, this is this is all setting up for Frank Vogel versus Russell Westbrook to end with Vogel having won a championship there as a coach, being run out of town. Uh, I've been driving around, listening to my guys on 710. And oh, yeah. what's the lo- What are the local birdies saying? You got this insight. Now. Dude, it's all about how Vogel is a terrible coach, even though he won you uh, a championship, really? which, is, which is awful. They hate Russ, too, which I think is interesting, a UCLA. Uh, but, but it's but interesting. But the vitriol for Vogel is worse. Yeah. They want to trade everybody. You know, there's 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 more similarities between LA sports fans and New York sports fans than I initially anticipated. Oh, okay. But okay. you know, the the roster construction. You know, and here's what I hate: not to get on LeBron, but it wouldn't be a trade deadline special if I didn't do this. He wanted this lineup, and now he's like. Uh, pouting in the press conferences, saying that right now we can't get to the same level as M- Milwaukee. Then you have R- Russell Westbrook, who's in in the press conferences, being like, uh, I, you know, I'm not allowed to have. I've earned the right as a person yeah. in this league to close these games out. When buddy, you're going three of eleven. Any coach at any level would would sit someone that's like shooting yeah. that poorly. So it's just a ridiculous situation. Uh, you got a guy like Malik Monk who 
every time he, he was out there, you know, in, in the Bucks game that I, I was at, they were down 30. Uh, they take Russ out. They, they, they have Reeves in there. They have Monk in there. They cut it, it to 10. But, you know, it was, there are things that you can like with the Lakers. But, man, it's tough sledding there. I mean, you're just watching Phoenix and Golden just State. Just rising and, and rising, yeah. just, just keep going towards the top, and the Lakers just kind of stay where they are, and it's getting more concerning. The one thing I'd like to mention before we go out, we mm-hmm. didn't cover it deeply. I do like Boston's moves. Mm. I know some people who are Boston fans give me a little shit. Uh, you know, they got Brown. They got Tatum. They have their core, Time Lord and Smart and – you know, adding uh, adding White and adding Daniel Theis and trying to actually maybe take a playoff series or two this year, like, why not? Yeah, I like the swing, too, and I don't think they gave up anything of consequence to make it happen. So smart moves by Boston. So in both the Eastern and, and Western Conference, uh, top two teams still Miami, Milwaukee currently, and Golden State Suns? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I think you could start making a case for Memphis and mm. – you know, depending on how this uh, this Harden thing plays out, maybe start talking about Philly if they if they rip off some games. Right on. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us. Send us all of what you think about the trade deadline at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com to peas in there. Uh, if you can follow us on all the social platforms at the tune-up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, f- subscribe to the tune-up YouTube channel. If you want to follow the big man, he's at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter, number one with a beard as well. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? I got, I'm telling you, Denny, you wear a fake mustache like this all day, you start to fall in love. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to a voluptuous version of the tune-up. That's right. <laughs>